What is up, everyone? Welcome into the Fight HQ podcast as we're here to get you ready for UFC Vegas 79 goes down on Saturday night inside the UFC Apex there in Las Vegas. And Saturday is going to be a MMA fan's dream as you can literally from like 11 a.m. to about midnight watch fights as the Bellator fight card from Ireland starts at 11 a.m. each time with the prelims main card 4 p.m. each time and then of course at night we've got the UFC card there from the UFC Apex headlined by a great lightweight matchup Raphael Fazeev taking on Matias Gamrod also we got the returning Bryce Mitchell taking on Dan Ige of course I'm Jason Foy as always I'm joined by the fighter Pete Rogers Jr. Pete how's it going man? What's going on? What's up, everybody? Uh, pleasant surprise. I actually forgot completely about the Bellator card. So uh, nice. That that'll be that'll be cool. I'll be able to get some some bets going for for both the cards. Um, hopefully, you know, keep that bankroll climbing until the UFC fights hit, and then uh, put your best lineups in for the UFC card. And you know, smaller cards than years ago, like eleven fight cards. It's okay. Uh, I definitely think you have to be sharp when it comes to DFS when it's such a small slate. But uh, I'm excited to break it down with you and see where you lie in some of these fights. Of course, we're coming here after last week's Noche UFC. And congratulations to Browns2233 for taking down the Fight HQ contest as uh, he had an interesting lineup that took down the contest last week. Of course, last week, a little bit different here as he had two losing fighters in his lineup. Also had Alexa Grosso, of course, got the draw. Uh, but he also had the two key components you had have last week in your lineups, being Raul Rosas Jr. scoring 132 points. Also, Lupi Godin. Is going out there scoring 128. Also uh, had Kyle Nelson, which Kyle Nelson was, uh, we kind of knew last week was probably going to be one of the more popular underdogs out there. So congratulations to Browns2233 for taking down last week's Fight HQ contest. Of course, this week's Fight HQ contest on DraftKings is already live. It is in the show notes or the podcast description, whoever you may be watching or listening to us. We always enjoy everyone who gets in there into the Fight HQ contest on DraftKings. What, what are you shaking your head for? I'm just thinking about last week, and I, I kind of blocked it out till you brought it back up. That, that Shirez and De Silva fight just completely ruined every single one of my lineups. I had 100% exposure to that fight. Um, I tried going to bat for all of us and, and sending an email to DraftKings, and I never do that. I tried. <laughs> I, I tried getting something out of it for us all, and uh, they told me to kick rocks. Um, it's part of the part of the game. What a, what a bad situation. Not necessarily a bad call uh, because, like, you know, they, they go off of – you know, unconscious reads and, and the arm going limp is a, is a, is a read. Um, I, I do think, you know, and the thing is if the guy's passed out and then was it Tyone, if, if he, yes. if he hesitates and waits, then he gets criticized for that too. It's just a, it's just a disaster of, of a situation right there. Um, ruined all my Shira's exposure. I mean, I was, uh, it looked really, really good um, until that happened. Uh, and, and then you had a draw in the main event. So, very very weird slate um a friend of the show kyle marley ended up taking down the optimal lineup um had a didn't even have to score that much just had to avoid all of the ugly situations a part of the card and he did so so if you had a profitably profitable week congratulations to you shirez just kind of ruined everything for for me so uh yeah on to the next one of course, if Shevchenko would have gotten the decision win, she was going to be, you know, over, you know, 120 points as well. So she would have been obviously a part of the optimal lineup there. And, you know, that's something we talked about last week of, uh, you know, there's going to be those salary ranges where you want to get to. This week's main event, I think, is, a, is another situation of that. And we can kind of start talking a little bit about game theory in terms of this one. And, you know, as, as I started kind of looking up and down the, the DraftKings salaries, by the way, Back-to-back weeks where we've got the two 9,000 fighters, two of the 9,000 fighters in the first and second fight of the night. We saw that happen last week. You've got a huge uh, big favorite in Jacob Malkoon, who has primarily been known as a decision guy. But uh, I did find it kind of interesting. It looks like a lot of people are betting that Jacob Malkoon wins inside the distance. Also, you got Maria Rodriguez as a 9,300. But, you know, as I, I look at this and, and I kind of you know, I color code some things here on my spreadsheet, the one of the things I stick it to, I look at these these four fights kind of in the middle and of course Pete uh, showing off that that fight HQ shirt here but like I look at Battle Fletcher Jordan Ramos Argoleta Johns Vialho and Means these are all kind of you know essentially they're anywhere from 8900 to 8300 in terms of the favorites like I think this is a stretch of this card that may decide who's optimal 
Yeah, I mean, I do like the mid-range. Um, I'm trying to put my finger on if the mid-range has finishing potential, though. Uh, I do like some some of the fights. Um, Argetta going up against Miles Johns. You know, I, I, I can see that one going long. Um, you know, you have Brian Battle, AJ Fletcher. I can also see that one going long. Um, you got the heavyweight bout between Muhammad Usman and, and Jake Collier and, of course, Ricardo Hamosh and, and Charles Jordan. The Jordan and Hamosh one's really interesting because of the pace. Um, obviously, heavyweights for Collier and Usman uh, based on what, what the division usually does. Um, high finishing potential. Um, good takedown potential as well. And then the pace of the Hamosh and Jordan fight is something that could boost the scores. So I don't hate getting more of the mid-range into my lineups. But I, I do wonder, like sometimes like we see all these finishes all the time, all these high scores, but I think that they're pretty competitive fights. Like I really do think they're pretty competitive fights. And if they're competitive and not lopsided, I do think that you could somewhat cap your upside. Yeah, you know, you talk about the the uh, Usman and Collier fight. I mean, you, you think of Muhammad Usman, and I mean, look, I've never been big on, on Usman. Yeah, um, you know, he he does have the ability to take the fight to the ground, but he's not a volume guy. Where vice versa, Jake Collier is a volume guy. And by the way, when you go down kind of down the social media rabbit hole, kind of looks like Jake Collier might be. Uh, you know, been been working on that cardio machine uh, leading up this fight. It looks like he may not be pushing that two sixty five. We'll see what he looks like there on the scale. But then, like you know, I, I look at the female matchup, uh, Mizuki and Goldie. Mizuki, we haven't seen her in three years. Yeah. Do you trust her as a, a three to one favorite? Ninety two hundred. Um, you know, I look at you mentioned about Dan Argetta. I think there's takedown upside potentially in that one for him. Um, how, you know, AJ Fletcher as a, a noticeable underdog here, how's he overcoming a substantial reach disadvantage that he has in, in this one? I, I really don't want to, you know, I'll say this, Maria Rodriguez, Watterson Gomez, I'd rather uh, go after that fight on prize picks than necessarily yep. on, on DraftKings. Uh, but to me, and, and we're going to get to the main event here shortly, I mean, that to me is going to be a, a, a must-roster fight, no matter what kind of contest you're playing in, whether you're playing in a big, a large-field GPP, small-field GPP, a cash contest, whatever it may be, I think it's going to be hard to get away from. And, you know, the co-main event, I don't know what to expect out of Bryce Mitchell. It's been a year away from competition, striker versus grappler. Can Ige keep the fire on, on the feet? That, to me, is a big question mark. But, of course, as always, appreciate everyone tuning in here to the Fight HQ podcast. Of course, we're here talking the UFC fight game here on Thursdays, 1 o'clock Eastern time on YouTube. Also, you can check us out on the podcasting platforms as well. By the way, Pete, I don't know if you noticed this. I did not know this until I was doing my show earlier today. No UFC card next week. Oh, no, really? Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, we've had a great stretch of fights. I uh, just kind of thought that it was just going to keep continuing. So, uh, interesting. Hopefully, we have something. PFL, Bellator, some. Well, not Bellator. Maybe PF, is it PFL? No, no PFL is not until November Dang. 24th. Going to have to just kick back and do more research for the following week. So, uh, don't and, hate and the break. but Enjoy it. Enjoy the time, Pete. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I mean, I know you're just like me. You're 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 living this busy world. I know. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, you know, but you know, having fights on at night when everybody's asleep is great. So that's pretty much me on a, on a Tuesday night, sitting on the couch watching the Contender Series and kind of working away. But uh, let's get right into breaking down these fights. Of course, main event, key matchup in the lightweight division. You got Matthias Gamrod taking on Rafael Fazeev. Fazeev is a minus 155 betting favorite, plus 130 for Gamrod over on DraftKings. Fazeev, 8,500 for Gamrod, 7,700. Pete Ike, I don't think this is really a hard fight to break down. I mean, I think it's, it's very easy grappler versus striker here as i look at mateus gamron i see a guy that you want to try to get this fight into the third fourth and fifth round really test the cardio rafael fazeev we know he's going to want to sit there and, and wrestle fazeev in this one but to me the concern that i do have on the mateus gamron side of this one is that he's been dropped in each of his last three fights yeah really interesting main event i, I love it um, I really like both fighters, to be honest. I, I'm a big Hafiel Fazib guy. I've been a big Hafiel Fazib guy since he broke into the UFC, um, you know, despite losing his debut. I I just really thought that this guy had the goods coming into it. I mean, he, he was the striking coach over at Tiger Muay Thai for some time. Um, since then, he's, you know, split time between Thailand and also going to Kilcliffe FC for the past couple of years. Um, I do like him getting in the States with some top-tier wrestlers and Kilcliffe FC will prepare you for it. Seems like the back end of his camp w was finished in uh, 
uh, in, in Florida at Kilcliffe FC, which I think is going to be necessary in a stylistic matchup against M- Mateus Gamrot, who is just a very high-paced fighter for the lightweight division. He's the 155-pound Marab Dalashvili, goes out there, spams takedowns, fights at a ridiculous pace, has a really, really strong strength of schedule coming into the UFC. And then in the UFC, he's fought the top-tier guys, Guram Kutataladze, Scott Holtzman, Jeremy Stevens, Diego Fajaya, Armin Sarukian, Benil Dariush, and Jalen Turner. I mean, that's like murderer's row right there. So um, he's definitely battle-tested. You know what you're going to get when it comes to Mateus Gamera, and it's going to be uh, striking enough to get people to respect your hands and then open, uh, opening up to land your takedowns. And if your opponents get back up to their feet, go back to the well of the takedown and uh, just rinse and repeat. So uh, I do think that the one concerning factor here is uh, Mateus Gamrot's susceptibility to body kicks. Um, he does seem like a guy that can get hit with some good body kicks and hurt throughout multiple contests. Obviously, getting hit and hurt on the feet as well is something I, I do worry about going up against a top-tier striker on Hotfield Fazeev, who I actually I thought was going to beat Justin Gaethje, and Justin Gaethje went out there and gave him a vet lesson. Um, it's interesting. It, it's really interesting, and I can make a case for both of them. So whenever I can do that, I'm going to get split exposure to Hotfield Fazeev at 8,500, tremendous value. Mateus Gamera, excellent value at 7,700 because of his takedown potential. How I foresee this fight going is that Fazib will have moments on the feet. Um, but I actually think that Mateos Gamrot's going to be the side I'm going to lean with. And that's kind of something I didn't expect heading into the fight. But the more I start thinking about other fights and, and similar stylistic matchups, it's it's kind of like Peter Jan against uh, Marab Dalishvili, where we were just always waiting for that KO shot of Peter Jan to, to drop Marab Dalishvili, who was dropped countless times um, you know, throughout his, his earlier fights in the UFC. Mateus Gamrot's been dropped multiple times against really, really dangerous fighters. And I know Armin Sarukian, Benil Darius, Jalen Turner, you know, don't have the true striking skills of Hafil Fazeev. Um, you know, Jalen Turner's got tremendous size for the division. And Darius and Sarukian can mix things up so well that it can catch somebody like Mateus Gamrot off guard. And, and that's maybe why the the striking success was had. Um, yeah, so with all that being said, it's a tremendous fight. I'm going to be picking Mateus Gamrot uh, because of the value and also because of the pace. I think that over 25 minutes, he has the style to win more minutes. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to be picking Gamrot here. And I think that because of the takedown potential, he's clearly the slate breaker. And when I look over at the price pick side of this equation here, Pete, so we've, we've got uh, some props on Rafael Fazeev. Significant strikes, 90.5. Fight time, 22.5. Fantasy score, 105.5. And, and, you know, look, if you think Rafael Fazeev is going to win this fight, I'm going to tell you this right now, on significant strikes and fight time, I think that's a less than play if you think Fazeev yeah. is going to win this fight. If you think Gamrot is going to win this fight, then I think you got to be looking at that fight time prop going more than 22 and a half because I think if Gamrot gets this done, it's it's most likely it's going to be a decision. Um, you know, To me, if, if you're trying to attack this on prize picks, I would rather look at the significant strike and fight time prop because even, I mean, if Gamrock can keep this thing, if he's able to utilize and, and lace up them wrestling shoes, as we like to talk about, Fazeev in a loss may not even hit 90.5 significant strikes. So I think those are the angles to play at if you're looking at prize picks. And, I mean, look, it's to me it just comes down to is, you know, like I said, the only thing that concerns me is you've been dropped three times. Yeah, you know, and and to me, and, and it's the Sarukian and, and the Dariush ones that really kind of stick out to me. And it's one of those things that if Rafael Fazeev drops, does he get back up? And and that to me would be that that to me, like we talk about the concerns you have about playing a side. To me, there's concerns on both sides. Yeah, one hundred percent. And um, you know, I I do think, and I've always kind of looked back on fight film and said to myself, well, it seems like Hopfield Fazeev, he's not a gasser, but I can see. A, somebody who's pushing a tremendous pace getting to him. He has good takedown defense. So uh, I'm not out here saying that he has bad takedown defense. He has very, very good takedown defense. I just think that will the pace break him over 25 minutes? I just, I'm going to lean towards Gamera. I, I really am. And uh, I'm excited for the matchup, though. It's an excellent, excellent matchmaking here. I, I can't wait to see number six, number seven in the world go at it. 
Next up, we got the co-main event in the featherweight division. We have got Bryce Mitchell returning after a year on the sidelines as he takes on Dan Ige. Bryce Mitchell is a minus 210 betting favorite, plus 175 for Dan Ige, and Mitchell is 8,800 on DK, and for Ige, he's 7,400. Pete, another matchup, kind of like the main event, really not hard to break down. I mean, if Bryce Mitchell's going to get this thing done, it has to be by him utilizing the takedowns, and for Dan Ige, to me, it's about him keeping this one on the feet, but I, I think of, and I understand that for a lot of people, that Dan Ige is probably going to be someone that you look at as an underdog spot. I mean, that price point on DraftKings at 7400 is intriguing if he can keep this fight on the feet. But what does concern me a little bit is we have seen Dan Ige get taken down by non-traditional grapplers. Yeah, so I'm a little torn on this fight as well, and that means that there's just good matchmaking. Um, the reason why I'm torn is because of what we've seen from Bryce Mitchell to this date. And Bryce Mitchell possesses tremendous takedown upside, excellent control, um, just kind of just outwork his, outworks his opposition, similar to um, similar to Mataos Gamera and similar to Marab Dalishvili, um, kind of painting them all with the same brush of just being pace pushers and tremendous wrestlers. Um, you know, we've seen in the past where Dan Ige has struggled to you know defend some takedowns. He'll defend a lot of them, but when he does get taken down, he, he's, you know, controlled for a majority of it. But when I look at Dan Ige and what I've seen lately, it's, it does seem like it's a guy who's coming into his own. And then I take into consideration the strength of the gym he's at and the preparation leading up into the fight. I really, really have always been speaking highly of extreme couture. You know, I have, and within extreme couture, there is, there's one there's many fighters but there's one fighter in particular that i think can possess the similar skills of bryce mitchell probably even better when it comes to the wrestling department in helping prepare dan Ige for this bout and it's jeremy kennedy and i really think that going up against him who has a very similar style of consistent takedowns over and over relentless pace having tremendous tremendous success over in Bellator, uh, working with him and other guys every single day in preparation to this. Bryce Mitchell said that he was very, very ill leading up to the Ilya Taporia fight and throughout the Ilya Taporia fight, should have never taken it. I do wonder, though, if he's just kind of using that as the only reason why mm -hmm. he lost that bout. There were some technical reasons as well. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't like it when people just go out there and they may have a reason, but that reason turns into an excuse. And um, perhaps I think everybody underestimates Dan Ige's skills. Dan Ige is going to be the better striker here. Dan Ige has good jiu-jitsu as well. It's a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I think that Dan Ige is getting slapped on in a matchup against a high pace pusher in Bryce Mitchell, and I'm okay with it. And uh, I'm going to go back-to-back -back values in, in the main event and co-main event. Uh, I do think that you need to prioritize both fights, uh, because of you know how each side has tremendous upside. But I'm going to be going with Mataj Gamrat in the main event and Dan Ige in the co-main. I want to bring and get your your perspective as a fighter in this one. We all know Bryce Mitchell has some things going on outside of the cage. We, we've seen that video from, uh, what was it, last week with his uh, fruit trees uh, with an ex-girlfriend and everything that happened there. I, I To me, I, you haven't seen this? No, I haven't seen it. I've been busy. Where what have happened? you been? Like, what happened? I, 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 so basically, he was dating a girl. They broke up, and apparently, she destroyed his fruit trees in his front yard. And he was Danny a very, he, very emotionally torn up about this. Yeah, and give was, me Danny even more. <laughs> but I was going to sit there and say, "Is like, this is a fight game. Does he go in there with good anger or bad anger? He's going in there with distractions. Is what he's going in there with. Like, you know, I, I think like having motivation. I, I mean. Everybody has stress and all that stuff. But mm -hmm. I'll tell you what, Dan Ige goes up, shows up to Extreme Couture, says probably five words, and just trains constantly over and over and over. And I love the consistency surrounding him. Um, so much success. I mean, look what Str Sean Strickland did. And look what other people from Extreme Couture have done under the tutelage of mm -hmm. Eric Nixick and everybody else there. I'm picking Dan Ige. Nixick, to me, may, may not get the appreciation 
that uh, he he deserves in terms of a coach he is. And uh, Danny Gay talked about this yesterday and saying how much he, Sean's win has brought a lot of motivation I- into that gym. And, uh, you know, look, I'm, I'm interested to kind of see where ownership is on this one. This could yeah. be one of those matchups where the leverage could be on the Bryce Mitchell side. And obviously, you know, takedowns are, are going to be a big part of his game. His takedown number over on prize picks is three. Uh, significant strikes, 39.5. And his fantasy score is 84.5. Um I mean, look, I could very easily see him hitting more than three takedowns, but that's, that is a big number. Um, so prize picks, not necessarily a, a fight that I really want to take an angle on. Isn't Jeremy Kennedy like the best person to prepare Danny Gay for Bryce Mitchell? Like, yeah. think about what he does to people in Bellator. He does the same thing, even better. So, like, I, I, I think and I'm hoping that it does all that work leading up into the fight, the preparation. I, I hope it helps. Now, of course, I know this was a rematch that you didn't think you really needed your life, that being Michelle Larson Gomez and Marina Rodriguez. Marina Rodriguez is a minus 320 betting fair, plus 250 for Larson Gomez. Rodriguez is 9,300 on DraftKings, 6,900 over for Michelle Watterson Gomez and going back and looking at their first matchup, Chris, their first matchup, by the way, was a five round fight, not a three round fight. It was a unanimous decision win there uh, for Maria Rodriguez. Maria Rodriguez landed 125 significant strikes, 144 total strikes. Uh, Michelle Watterson Gomez was one of five in takedowns, only landing 100 total strikes here. And uh, I would say this I don't necessarily love this fight in terms of a, a DraftKings perspective, Pete, but uh, once you give your breakdown of the fight, I'll tell you. It was over on prize picks, there is a number I really do love this week. Yeah, I mean, I, this fight's it's okay. It's there, right? It's a, it's a fight. It's a contrarian one to target. Um, I don't necessarily think that it's going to be more competitive than the first one was. Um, if anything, I feel like Marina Rodriguez might put a stamp on it. And in three rounds, she doesn't have to necessarily worry about gassing out. Um, she already knows the game of Michelle Waterson, who's going to attempt takedowns. Um, you know, not necessarily go out there and be a wrestler, but she's going to attempt her, her little head and arm throws and inside the clinch. She went one of five in their first encounter, had uh, three minutes of control time, three and three minutes and 54 seconds of control time. Marina Rodriguez realizes that everybody's going to want to put her on her back to avoid the striking onslaught. Um, it's been tough times for Marina Rodriguez, who was at one time on a four-fight win streak in the UFC, back-to-back defeats to Amanda Lemos and Verna Janaroba. Jana Roba, just a horrible stylistic matchup for her. And Amanda Lemos just uh, hit her with some very, very powerful shots on the feet and uh, ended up finishing her in the third round. So I don't think that Michelle Waterson has the pop to do so. If she would find a KO, I think it would be in result of a, a head kick or something. Um, but I think Michelle's best path to victory is just being busier than Marina Rodriguez. And it's going to be pretty difficult to do so. So it is women's MMA. Uh, the fights in women's MMA tend to go longer, so the overs are always in play, and that means the underdogs are always in play to possibly steal a competitive decision. So uh, I can see if you're playing 150 max, if getting to some Michelle Watterson just because, no problem at all. She did just have a split decision to Luana Pinheiro, but I view uh, Marina Rodriguez in much higher regard, and I actually think that she could put a, a bigger stamp on this fight. Not necessarily saying she's going to get a finish, but I think it could be one-way traffic for 15 minutes. So Marina Rodriguez, high-volume play, 9,300. She's okay. She's okay. I like some other 9,000 options better, though. I thought one of the interesting things that uh, Michelle said yesterday during her chat with the media, and obviously she's had a lot of decisions in her life, and some have gone her way, some have not gone her way, and the thing that she said was that she had reached out to judges over the past couple months and had talked to them about what they're looking for, and it's actually kind of surprised that more of these you know UFC fighters don't do that, and having those conversations with judges is exactly what they're looking for here. Now, I mentioned about on prize picks, uh, my favorite prize picks play of this week, Pete, is he more than 70 and a half significant strikes on Marina Rodriguez? Yeah. In three rounds in their last fight, she landed 86. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, like when you know your opponent, like I, I can see where Marina's not worried as much now. Like in 25 minutes, she's so many things. You're worried about gassing out, worried about putting on your back, overextending on your shots. I think she, now. Do you like the over on on that significant? Oh yeah. Number? Oh, okay, that that number could be seventy five and a half. I would still go more. Yeah, I, I, I I'm gonna tell you this right now. It's probably when I'm probably gonna put a prize picks play in here today. 
I'm going to get that seven and a half number before it goes up because I would okay. expect that that number is going to go up at some point because uh, you know typically usually by about Saturday morning I, I've kind of I've really noticed this you really don't see too many changes on price picks till about Saturday morning so that's where I would be looking in terms of that one but that is it's by far I mean I I have three props uh, circled this week. Two actually happen to be in the same fight, but that's where I, I really do like in terms of this one. Next up, let's go over to the welterweight division. We got Brian Battle taking on A.J. Fletcher. A.J. Fletcher, a plus 160 betting underdog, minus 190 for Brian Battle. Battle is 8,700 DK. A.J. Fletcher is 7,500. And of course, Pete, when you talk about breaking down this fight, I mean, I think it really has to start with how does A.J. Fletcher overcome a 10-inch reach disadvantage in this one yeah i mean uh, i'm gonna keep saying it until he possibly changes it or he retires that i think aj fletcher would much be much more suited for for lightweight i mean clearly i'm not i'm not the only person saying this he's going to be um at a at a reach disadvantage a size disadvantage for the welterweight division um he's just not a big guy he's a he's a little like he reminds me of like doug martin like the muscle hamster and like Mm -hmm. he's like a a smaller stout guy um who if he gets a hold of you 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 can have a very difficult time getting away from but like getting to that point is difficult you have to get past the reach of you know talented strikers and brian battles very very good it's i also don't really like aj fletcher's like management and i I don't know who's managing him but like getting a foot in the door against matthew samuelsberger is fine but like angelusa like that's a tough fight Themba Grimbo was a, a somewhat of a layup, but now going up against Brian Battle, the Ultimate Fighter winner, like why? Like there, there's plenty of other fighters in there, and take your time. Go, you know, I feel like he's trying to come in and contend right off the rip, and I feel like he's a little, just a step behind a little bit. So what I'm going to say is that on paper, this looks like a tremendous mix a mismatch here between Brian Battle and AJ Fletcher. Brian Battle. He's been on, you know, he's just like a crazy finish type of guy, like, and they're somewhat fluky. Gabe Green rushed across the octagon, started throwing haymakers at him, caught him in 14 seconds and KO'd him. Up until that fight, I thought, you know, going into it, that Gabe Green, like, he's a proven vet. Maybe he's going to take his time. Nope, did the complete opposite. So quick win bonus right there. Takashi Sato, beautiful head kick. Can't hate on that. Quick win bonus. Um submission over Gilbert Urbina. I believe Urbina was a fill-in there because of Treshawn Gore's uh, injury. Got a finish in the second round. When he's gone long, we've seen him get put in bad spots. Treshawn Gore went the distance with him. Treshawn Gore was able to land takedowns and and get some top control. We saw what happened against Renat Fakhradinov. Absolute domination for 15 minutes. Uh, Fakhradinov is much bigger and much stronger and a better wrestler than uh, A.J. Fletcher. But there are some similarities that, 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 that you see amongst Brian Battle's opponents where he struggles. And it's somebody who can take him down and hold him down or just kind of just outwork him on the mat. I'm just saying that A.J. Fletcher is probably going to be somebody I'm going to get more exposure to if the public doesn't like it. This safe pick all day long is Brian Battle because of the length, the well-rounded skill set, and just uh, his experience within the octagon. So at 8,700, I think he's a solid play. But I'm going to, from an exposure standpoint, check the ownership, and I'll probably get to A.J. Fletcher more than most people just because of I've always been high on A.J. Fletcher. Uh, I like the takedowns. I like the grappling skill set. I like the fact that he's at um, he's at uh, Factory X, so under tutelage of a great coach with good training partners. I'm going to get to more AJ Fletcher than the public, probably. Yeah, I don't blame you there. I mean, over on Prize Picks, I'm actually kind of looking at that fight time prop of eleven and a half. I'm kind of leaning to a, a more play there, thinking that uh, if AJ can it will utilize a little bit of grappling, you mentioned about Factory X and. Look, I'm one of the biggest Mark Montoya fans out there. I think the guy's one of the most under undervalued coaches in all of mixed martial arts. Next up, we got Charles Jordan taking on Ricardo Hamos. Hamos plus 120, minus 144. Jordan, Jordan, a 300 on DK. And Hamos is 7900. And uh, you know, you, you I was looking at this this fight last night, and you know, to me, it, it really is. 
you know, Ricardo's now been in the UFC for a while, but Jordan has just faced so much better competition for oh, yeah. him here. And and this is one of those fights that I'm really looking at, especially uh, playing it just because of the salary position on both these guys. Yeah, it's a little tough to get away from, right? No 8,000, uh, 8,200 fight this week. Uh, you got the Jordan at 83, Ricardo Hamas at 79. You know, I, I think that whenever you look at Charles Jordan, clearly he does not want to be grappling. Um, if, if he's put on his back, he's not the same fighter as when he's standing up. You can say that for a lot of fighters. I do think that he has rounded out that part of his game. Um, so he's not as susceptible to submissions and, and ground control as he used to be. Ricardo Hamosh has shown off solid jiu-jitsu skills um, and gone to takedown well in the past against Bill Algeo. He went 8 of 13. We know that Bill Algeo has struggled in the takedown defense department despite being a very talented grappler. Um, just not the best in, in the takedown defense department. I do think that we have a guy in Charles Jourdain who's faced the tougher competition. The past three fights alone, Shane Burgos, Nathaniel Wood, Crone Gracie. Crone Gracie was a layup for taking the Shane Burgos and Nathaniel Wood fight. Um, you know, and and he was competitive and he arguably beat Shane Burgos, scored 58.64 against Nathaniel Wood, lost to the unanimous decision, scored 45.92. So with all that being said, you know that Charles Jourdain is going to fight for your money and that he's a high-paced fighter. I like his skill set. The loss to Julian Arosa is probably the ugliest one on his record, and it's not because Arosa's bad. It's just because Arosa's so damn inconsistent, so it's tough to put a read on fighters that he has victories over. Ricardo Hamosh fools around on the feet too much for me, uh, throws spinning, spinning stuff, Way too much spin and elbow worked out really well against Danny Chavez. Kind of, you know, froze him with that, knocked him out cold in round one and one one minute and twelve seconds. Um, throws a lot of useless, pointless techniques. Very low percentage. Um, and I'm just going to pick the guy on Charles Jordan to have the higher motor, defend some takedowns if he gets taken down. I'm banking on Charles Jordan winning at least two rounds, possibly getting a finish over Ricardo Hamosh, who can be bullied. And you saw him get bullied against Lerone Murphy back in 2020. I'm hoping that Jordan can do the same here and put up a big, uh, big score at 8,300. Yeah, I'm in the uh, Jordan side of this one too. And over on Prize Picks, I like the more than 72 and a half significant strikes on Jordan. I also like the more than 12 and a half fight time minutes. I think this thing's going to go 15 minutes. So those are uh, two of my favorite plays over there when it comes to Prize Picks. But uh, Jordan, if uh, people have actually. Uh, my other podcast that came out here about uh, about two hours or so ago. Uh, I gave my I gave my three best bets, and uh, one of them was the money line or Jordan at uh, minus uh, one forty. I would say the other two that I liked uh, that I gave out there was Rafael Fazeev's one by TKO KO, which I want to pull my pull my notes up over here from the earlier podcast. Uh, Fazeev TKO KO plus one seventy five. And then uh, my top play is Johnny Eblen inside the distance plus one forty. I love Johnny Eblen. Johnny Eblen's so nasty. The question we debated on the show today is: Is the best current MMA middleweight fighting on Saturday? I I think so. I I truly do. I've been a big Johnny Eblen fan. I cashed big when he uh, when he beat uh, yeah. Gago, well, so. Well, the problem with that is it's it's the strength of competition. And, yeah. And, you know, it's going to be kind of hard. Well, I mean, look, we're, we'll see what happens with the Bellator fighters uh, come the end of 2023 and heading into 2024. Next up, we got Dan Argetta taking on Miles Johns. Argetta is a minus 175 betting favorite, plus 150 for Miles Johns. Argetta, 8,600, and Miles Johns is 7,600. Of course, Miles Johns. So these guys, it's been kind of an interesting road for him over the past uh, two years or so. Uh, of course, a longtime Fortis MMA fire ends up leaving Fortis MMA to go change train with James Krause. Uh, we all know what happened there, and so now he's he's back. So, uh, but I, Pete, I think I look at this fight and say, man, if Dan Argetta can get some takedowns here, there's a, there's a nice fantasy score upside here. Yeah, I tell you what, I, I don't know why. I'm just not the biggest Miles Johns guy. Um, I think that he's a fine underdog if you want to get to him. He, he does have wrestling in his back pocket. He's supposed to be a talented wrestler in his own right, offensively and defensively. But he did go 1-12, uh, 1-12 for 12 in his previous bout against Vince Morales. Um, you know, and, and it's a guy that I've always looked at and said, eh, if somebody's a pace pusher and goes out there, I, I think you can see his 
gas tank gets super taxed. Um, has a big power in his hands. But like last fight for Dan Argetta against Ronnie Lawrence, he looked incredible. And I was a Ronnie Lawrence guy. I, I didn't mind like Dan Ar. I don't remember who I had, but I, I like both sides of it. I might have even stacked the fight just because I thought it was just going to be action packed and crazy. And Dan Argetta made it look like one way traffic. And my goodness, did he look like career best out there? So I am going to be picking Dan Argetta here. Um, I do think that he has the better wrestling um, than, than Miles Johns. Striking, I'll, I'll lean towards Miles Johns because he he throws better combinations. But Dan Argetta hits hard as well. So I like Argetta here at 8,600. I worry about the wrestling skills negating some of Argetta's early work. And then Argetta round two, round three starts to to turn it on and, and ends up with a decision win. But 8,600, I do like Dan, Dan Argetta here. And excited to get to see this bout uh, just because I, I've always been looking at Miles John saying like, yeah, he picked up a win over Vince Morales and Anderson Dos Santos and Kevin Natividad. If I go back in a lot of those fights, I, I'm pretty sure I'm on the opposite side of him. I, I, don't, I don't know why, um, but it's going to happen again here. I'm going to be picking Dan Argetta. And should be you no know, Miles John still uh, in that uh, Kansas City, Missouri area. Uh, in, a lot of the big reasons why he left four to seven May was he was trying to get closer to his family. Uh, he's now training there at Trey Ogden's gym, which is that's a good gym. It's essentially become the new yeah. uh, Glory MMA Fitness. They changed the name; it's called Marathon MMA, but it's really where a lot of we, when you talk about the the fighters that were knew they had to leave Glory because of the James Cross situation. There was a couple of gyms they went to. Either they stayed in the Kansas City area and they went to Trey's Gym Marathon MMA, which um, prior to everything happening going on, he was an affiliate gym of Glory MMA and Fitness. So uh, they changed the name, but other other fighters either went out to Factory X. Um, some went to Team Oyama uh, or Fortis, where, where really were the ones went to, just so just kind of throw you out there. Next up, this is a fight that... I'm not really sure to feel confident on either side of this situation, P. That's Andre Fialho and Tim Means. Tim Means, a plus 150 betting underdog, minus 175 for Andre Fialho. Fialho, 8,900. Means, 7,300. And, uh, you know, Tim Means, 50th career professional fight, at least 50th fight on his record. I'm sure it's probably much more than that. Uh, and Andre Fialho here, it's it's just one of those ones where, I mean, look, you, you've got the longtime vet of the sport, and he's in an underdog role, but it's also like, just knowing how the UFC does these things, Pete, I feel like they, they feel like this is an opportunity for Andre Fialo to have a, a, a statement-type fight. Yeah, I really like this fight, and I think that Tim Means is probably going to get a decent amount of ownership priced at 7300 against a guy in Andre Fialo who's been knocked out in three fights in a row uh, to Joaquin Buckley, Muslim Salikov, and Jake Matthews. But like all three of those guys are very, very talented. Um, we, we saw what he could do. And it went long in his debut against Michelle Pereira. Um, and then you saw him go up against Miguel Baeza, who was a fighter I was pretty high on. Knocked him out in round one. Had a short notice fight against Cameron Van Camp. Knocked him out in round one. Um, Jake Matthews turned it on, and despite being the better grappler, just outboxed Andre Fialo and knocked him out in round two. And then Salikov and Buckley. So it's like, where do you lie on Andre Fialo? Yes, he's a complete liability. So I, I put the liability sticker on him. Um, but these are the types of fights that make or break a slate. And Tim Means is a guy who's very, very aged for the division um, and just an MMA in general. So he is an absolute vet. All the respect for Tim Means. 14, 12, and 1 in the UFC, whereas Andre Fialo is 2 and 4. Um, Tim Means has the skills to win a decision here against Andre Fialo. I know that Fialo's been knocked out. And that Tim Means is a very long southpaw, but I don't think that he has the pop to necessarily knock out Andre Fialo. And Fialo's shin may be so bad now that it doesn't take a lot. I mean, the last time Tim Means had a knockdown against was against the Loriana Staropoli, um, was against Tiago Alves. That's 2019 and 2020. Um, you know, I, I do see a, a fighter with similar characteristics to Nico Price. And when Nico Price landed that beautiful shot on Tim Means, he crumpled. I think a guy who's constantly in the gym at Killcliffe FC, whether he's getting knocked out under the lights or not, I think that he's prepared to win a bout here against Tim Means. So 
I'm not going to feel good about it. But I'm picking Andre Fialo to to knock out Tim Means at 8,900. But circle this fight. If you're doing a 150 max, Tim Means should be like 20, 25% owned. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, if he's anything less than that, I think you need to get aggressive just because of the vet skills that he has and just the question marks surrounding Fialo's chin. You know me, I'm always looking for those fires underneath 20% ownership and saying where can I get a little bit of leverage there. And, uh, you know, looking over at the uh, prize pick side of the equation, it's kind of an interesting number on prize picks because you've got significant strikes for Fiala is 27.5, fight time 8.5, fantasy score 90.5. The 8.5 fight time is the one that I – I can I can see it both ways. Like I can see this thing yep. getting in the first round, but I can also see it being just a, a fifteen minute striking battle between these two guys. But I do think it's going to stay on the feet. Next up, we got Jacob Malkoon taking on Cody Brundage. Uh, Malkoon is a six to one betting pair, plus four thirty on the bet uh, for Cody Brundage. Malkoon ninety five hundred, Brundage sixty seven hundred. Uh, Malkoon has been a decision machine in, in the UFC, but when I was over at uh, Best Fight Odds uh, earlier this morning, the one thing that really noticed me: it looks like people are really going after that Jacob. Jacob Malkoon uh, inside the distance, which now is uh, about at plus 110, which I totally get it because the, the fight IQ sometimes of Cody Brunage, you really have a lot of question about, you know, how much he really uh, tries to go for guillotines. I think it's probably the one thing that really sticks out to here, but it's, it's one of these things where like you see the clear takedown upside for Jacob Malkoon, but this $9,500 price tag, I, I kind of sit there and say, do I have to get that finish for him to be optimal? Yeah. So you know how like, for whatever reason, you are just like a fan of some people and you love watching them fight. Like when when people up here in New England, they're like, I just absolutely love watching you fight when you're fighting again. It's tough to kind of understand that, um, especially when they don't know you. And it's like, wow, they're like that's really nice of you. For some reason, I love watching Jacob Malcoon. Like I, I just love his style. I, I love – like I've actually started to – past couple of years incorporate a lot of his takedowns into my game like how he sets things up he does a, a single leg where he it's very simple he, he grabs the single leg he steps behind the rear leg and he does a dump but it's super effective and i've watched him do it to almost everybody and it's just like a it's a broken technique and it's like uh it's like a screen pass in madden it's just broken and he goes back to it over and over and over so i, I think that jacob malcoon's in a fantastic matchup here um cody brudges his fight iq is bad uh, I hear he's a nice guy. I know you're friendly with him. Uh, outside of just having power in his hands, I don't see how he's going to win this fight. I, I think like just catching Jacob Malkoon on the chin is his only hope because if he pulls a guillotine or he gets into a grappling match, despite having a grappling and wrestling background, I think Jacob Malkoon's just like just years ahead. And uh, you saw what he just did to Nick's, Nick Maximoff, who made Cody Brundage, despite it being on relative short notice, Looked like he was a, a very poor wrestler. Jacob Malkoon went 9 of 13 of takedowns, had 7.5 minutes of control time against a tremendous grappler and wrestler in Nick Maximoff. So uh, I think that Jacob Malkoon, I'm going to put the stamp on it. He's my favorite play on the slate. Outside of getting knocked out, I do like his chances to put up a very, very high score, S- You know, like similar to uh, Lupe Godinez last week where mm-hmm. I was okay with just like eating the chalk a little bit. And if people weren't getting to her, um, I was just going to be aggressive because of her style. And that's what I'm doing with Jacob Malcoon. 9,500 all day long. Going to be in probably all my lineups that I play this weekend. Yeah, I mean, you know, one of the things about, about Cody Brunch, and, and I've known Cody since he was an amateur fighter, is we just – and particularly since he's gotten to the UFC, we just haven't seen that wrestling ability translate. I mean, he, you know, and, you know, I mean – some guys can, you know, it translates really well. Some guys, for whatever reason, it just doesn't translate. We haven't seen him translate well, and we have seen him, you know, in you – know, God, I'm trying to think of the fighter that was absolutely just butchering him against the fence, and he goes for a takedown, he just locks in a guillotine. He ran, Oh, that's uh, – Was it Dolce? Uh, Dolce Lungambula. Yeah, yeah, when he oh was just – He was lighting him up. But this, to me, is, is just a – for me, it's a question of – can Malcoon get the finish here? Because like a look at our prize picks, the the takedown prop is three and a half. 
if this thing goes 15 minutes, I can very easily see him smashing that three and a half number and going well above that. Um, you know, and, and, and also the thing with Brunage, he's, he's just not a very, he's not a volume fighter. So that, that thing is sticks out to me. We appreciate everyone uh, checking us out here on fight HQ. Of course, be sure to uh, join our discord channel. Totally free to join. We are DraftKings contest as well. Uh, Sam, I see your thing about only fans fade. I have not heard that one. I will tell you this. I've, I've heard uh, a lot of fighters are now being paid to be on the platform by only fans hey yeah well hey shout out to them because if i could do it i would be doing i i would be doing the same thing raking in that money um because <laughs> half of them were just posting training stuff or like stuff that girls post on instagram to begin with so um good get for that them. money get that yeah, money. get that money is right <laughs> and just real real quick check out listen to these numbers and this is why i'm not gonna fo- i'm not gonna fade jacob malcone nine of 13 7 of 14, 6 of 16, 8 of 24. Those are his takedown attempts in each of his fights. That is absolutely absurd. But in all those fights, zero knockdowns and only two submission attempts. And the two submissions uh, attempts were against Abdul Razak Al-Hassan. So he does punch a lot. He punches a lot when it's on the ground. So I'm probably still betting him to win a decision, but it's going to be like super dominant. I wish you could even like – bet like 10 eights because i i think there's going to be multiple 10 eights in this fight <laughs> that goes pete's only fans incoming i would not even know what a pete's only fans look pete's <laughs> only fans be uh it'd be karate. Single without a kid of course <laughs> but no i'm a family man so if and <laughs> you see there's guys out there the fighters promoting their only fans and they put their I, I will say on. this it's, all they it, do. it's been a while since i've heard some figures Let's just say I was blown away with numbers I heard that fighters were making on OnlyFans. Blown away. It, it was literally one of these things of going, why are they fighting? They're making yeah, that kind of money. Yeah. Yep. Uh, next up, we got a heavyweight matchup. We got Mohamed Usman taking on Jake Collier. Usman is a minus 150 betting fair, plus 125 for Collier. Usman, 8,400. Collier is 7,800. And, uh, you know, Usman, we think about, obviously, the, the wrestling ability that he can bring, uh, but not exactly the uh, most volume of fighters, where, on the other hand, Jake Collier, a guy who, well, used to fight 185 pounds, now fighting at heavyweight, uh, but he is a guy that definitely does bring the volume to the table. Yeah, he does, but I'll, I'll tell you what, like, I was picking Jay Collier in a lot of fights because I, I actually think that he's pretty damn skilled. He's got, like, a middleweight style for the heavyweight division, but once he gets put in a heavyweight position, I feel like he's still a middleweight. Like, he, he gets completely out-muscled and just, like, seems lost in bad spots whenever the heavyweights put him there. And granted, it's hard. I, I understand it's hard. Um, but like when he was, he was beating the hell out of Chris Barnett. And then when Chris Barnett turned the tide and he got put in, in a bad position, he ended up getting TKO'd in the second round. And we know Chris Barnett, very exciting, not necessarily the, the, the best loss to have. And, uh, you know, and then to Martin Boudet, very, very tough guy who's on fire. Andre Arlovsky fight probably should have gone his way. Um, so if this fight stays on the feet, I think that's his clear path to winning a decision maybe testing the chin of Muhammad Usman and knocking him out. I just don't see that happening because I don't think that Muhammad Usman is going to allow it to be on the feet. He knows what he has, and he's a part of a very strong uh, camp. And against Junior Tafa, who is clearly the better striker and looked at early and often, um, you saw Muhammad Usman, despite getting met with, with resistance, went 2 of 12 in the takedown department. And then when he got on top, he had 12 minutes of control time. That's my fear in this matchup if you're backing uh, Jay Collier is that, like, he's going to get taken down. And if he doesn't, then I, I think that he can, you know, stay on the outside and outbox and outstrike Muhammad Usman. I just think that, that Usman's way too powerful, and he's probably going to sit in Collier's guard for 15 minutes. Uh, but, yeah, so give me Muhammad Usman here at 8,400. Didn't really score the best despite having um, 12 minutes of control time, two takedowns against Junior Tafa, scored 78 even though he, he picked up a second-round K over against Zach Palga, he, he only scored 85. I might be okay with getting a little bit away from uh, Muhammad Usman here at 8,400. I just don't necessarily think he has the style to, to put up crazy, crazy scores because of his inefficiencies. 
Yeah, I mean, to me, this is the lower third of the UFC heavyweight division. I will say on prize picks, the one-and-a-half takedown prop on Muhammad Usman does stick out to me. Uh, also, the 12-and-a-half fight time uh, sticks out to me. I think those would be both more plays in, in terms of this one. And uh, I do want to see what Jake Collar looks like on the scale. Seeing some social media photos that make you wonder, maybe has he dropped a little bit of weight? Then, of course, our, our first two fights tonight are both going to be female matchups, both featuring fighters who are in the 9,000 range. First up, you got Mizuki taking Taking on Goldie. Mizuki minus 320 betting fair plus 250 forehand of Goldie. Goldie 7,000 on DK. Mizuki 9,200. But uh, Pete, this one to me is like you talk about trust, do not trust. This to me is one of those fights because Mizuki's been away for three years. Hannah Goldie just never been a, a fan of hers in terms of what she can do inside the octagon. So this is like in that trust, do not trust list this week. Yeah, I think like you're gonna see a three to one favorite Mizuki Inoue not look like a three to one favorite just because of the inactivity and being away from the cage. I think she has, you know, clearly the the better uh, strength of schedule um, outside the UFC. She's fought a lot of top tier talent inside the UFC. She's even fought Wu Yunan and Amanda Lemos. Um, both of those went 15 minutes. So. You have Hannah Goldie, who one and three in the UFC, outside the UFC, very, very low competition. It's a fight where Hannah Goldie's the punt of the week. And the reason that she's the absolute punt is you're not necessarily expecting her to, to go out there and win, but she has been acclimated to competition. She has been out there competing against some hot fighters. Molly McCann knockout. That was a little crazy. Emily Whitmire, not a not a good win. Uh, Diana Belbita and Miranda Granger. So, like, even in the UFC, it's low level, but it's still being out there. Um, I will say that Hannah Goldie is working with my striking coach, uh, who I had out when I was in New Mexico um, against, uh, you know, at Elite Muay Thai uh, down there in Florida. Uh, Crew Dom, he's awesome. He's absolutely awesome. Him and I hit it off really, really well. And we've seen him put other fighters, like, just up their games tremendously. Phil Rowe works with him a lot. Uh, Lucas Almeida, not Lucas Almeida, the other kid that pulled off the crazy victory when, um, when, when I was back in Steven Peterson, he just got beat pillar to post. Uh, but yeah, so Hannah Goldie's going to get some sprinkles in some of my lineups because of the work with Crew Dom and all the fighters down between Fusion XL and Elite Muay Thai. I think that on the feet, the hand speed. And just the volume of Mizuki Inoue is probably going to be enough for her to win a decision here. Just just be careful, right? Like being away from the cage does mean something. And Hannah Goldie is in a training room often and, uh, you know, should be getting better. I st- I'm still going to be picking Mizuki Inoue to, to win a decision. But like I said, I'll be, I'll be punting and getting to some Hannah Goldie because of the work with the striking coach, Crew Dom, but also just being in there. Yeah, I'm, it's just a fight that I, just, I, I didn't really only get to, especially because of the price point. But, uh, you know, in terms of if you're looking for a punt play, Goldie would not be a, a one that I would I would get there just strictly as a punt play. Then our opening matchup, you got uh, Vidal taking on Rendon Vidal. Minus 225 betting fair, plus 185 for Rendon Vidal. 9,700 for Rendon. What's your thoughts, Pete? Yeah, I mean, like, I was trying to make a case for Montserrat Rendon. I mean, she she's coming from a grappling background, but yet when you watch her her regional tape, she throws ones and twos, so straight punches, which I love straight punches. Um, some lack of urgency, some lack of killer instinct, um, and kind of just like going through the motions. Whereas the the fighter on the opposite end, Tamiris Vidal, she seems like a sprinter. So uh, unless she gasses herself out and gets finished late. I think that the finishing, uh, the, the sprinting nature of Tamaris Vidal striking, throwing flying knees to the body against Ramona Pasquale, who it's somewhat of, flu- of a fluky finish. But um, like even if you go back and you watch her, she's competing in Brazilian jiu-jitsu tournaments. Uh, her takedowns on the regional scene, she gets them. If she gets put in a bad position, she works back to her feet and she has urgency. So I'm literally picking this based on urgency. I, I think that, you know, a Montserrat Rendon upset wouldn't necessarily surprise me, but I am going to be picking Tamiris Vidal to to win. At you know she's seven and one. Does she get a finish? I don't know. I, I don't know. And because I like Andre Fiala, I'm okay with uh, you know 
just taking a little less, 8,900 versus 9,000. And because I like Jacob Malkoon, those are probably going to be my two fighters I get to. But it is first fight of the night. Tons of volatility against a USC, UFC debutante, uh, Mexican fighter fighting the week after uh, UFC Noche. So if she was absolutely incredible, I think we would have seen her on the Noche card. Mm-hmm. And because she's on this card, I, I'm still picking Tamiris Vidal just based on everything I said. So um, I think she's a fine play. She'll probably score 100 points. I'm just hoping to get to, to some higher ones. Sam in chat just dropping this only fan knowledge to, to, go, to go along with what he's trying to say. Uh, hey, look, you, you got to find an angle. You got to find an angle, man. If that's the angle saying? to fade people who, who are on OnlyFans, okay, you, you found an angle. Maybe, Sam may be spot on. Hey, I, I'm with you, Sam. I'm I'm fine with it. Thank you for doing the research with the uh, the stats on the OnlyFans fighters. Um, yeah. So... I, I, I'm already picking the other girl, so Mizuki it is. Yeah, the, he, he mentioned about Aaron Lipsky. That's one of the fighters I've heard is actually getting, being paid to be on OnlyFans, um, which is, I mean, look, if you've, if you've watched enough regional MMA like I have, OnlyFans is sponsoring a crap ton of but regional MMA. surprised? I mean, like, of course. Like, oh, no, good no. For them. Yeah, exactly. Like, no, get not, that not surprised at all. Uh, let's get right into our straight-up fight picks. Uh, main event, uh, I'm going to go Rafael Fiziev. I'm going to go on the opposite end and give me Mateo Scamrock. Mitchell Ige, this fight to me is closer to the betting odds, say. Give me Danny Ige. Yes. Convinced him. Give me Danny Ige as well. Yeah. Uh, I'll go Maria Rodriguez. Marina Rodriguez. Uh, give me Brian Battle. Yeah, for the pick, I'm going Battle. But like I said, for exposure-wise, I think that Fletcher's interesting. Uh, I'll go Charles Jordan. Jordan. Uh, go Dan Argetta. Argetta. Uh, Fialo. Fialo. Malcoon. Malcoon. Don't feel good about this. Mo Usman. Mo Usman. Uh, Mizuki. Mizuki. And Vidal. It's a, it's a tough underdog week. It really is. It really is. Chalky. Yeah, back to back chalky, super chalky. But then, but listen, like the, then the the fight Kyle Nelson ends up being in the optimal because some weird stuff happens. Yeah. Uh, let me go over to uh, Discord uh, to get some questions in there. Uh, Tristan, uh, he says, who is the best leverage player? I haven't seen ownership, so that's going to kind of go into it um, in terms of what that may be. Um, but, you know, to me, I really like the fights I want to see where ownership lines up on is Mitchell Ige, mm-hmm. Argetta Johns, and I think Usman Collier is going to be kind of a sneaky one to pay attention to in terms of GPPs. Yeah, I really want to see the the ownership on um, Brian Battle, AJ Fletcher, because I, I I think that everybody's going to be picking against AJ Fletcher. Uh, Takedown upside to me. I mean, uh, we kind of talked about these guys: Gamrot, Mitchell, Argetta, Malcoon, Usman. Yeah, good job. Uh, rank the nine K options. We have four nine K options this week. We have Vinal, Mizuki, uh, Malcoon, and Rodriguez. Malcoon's got to be number one. Yeah, he's number one for me. Number two is who? I'm going to go Vidal. Okay. And then I'm going to go Marina three and Mizuki four, just based on the inactivity. That's all. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you there. Uh, best punt, Gomez, Goldie, or Rendon? Uh, I will go. I'm going to go Goldie. Yeah, I was, I was, it was to me, it was either Goldie or, or Gomez. They uh, are value, all bad. <laughs> uh, value plays under 8K on DraftKings. I mean, Matthias Gamron's got to be right at the top of the list. Yes. Um, three core plays on DraftKings. Um, I would start with Malcoon and build from there. That's where I would start the core at. Yeah, I'm going to start Malcoon. And then you got to pick a side on the, on the uh, main event. You yeah. got to pick a side. You got to go Hotfield, Fazeev, or, or Gamera. And then that leaves you with some good amount of salary. And then from there, I'm okay with getting different. So I, I like those two building blocks. He was asked about cheapies on FanDuel. I'm just pulling the FanDuel salaries up here real quick here. Um, the cheap ones on over there on FanDuel. going absolutely nuts? A she's, little bit. She's not in a bad way. She's just... <laughs> She's bab- she's been babbling this whole podcast. Yeah. So if you see me just smile, 
is because I'm just looking <laughs> off listening to her with, with Dan upstairs. I've noticed. Uh, Dan Ige at $12 uh, would be the one that under 1400 at six outs mean the most over there. Maybe AJ Fletcher if he's able to utilize those takedown abilities there. Um, and so, uh, but yeah, that's pretty much it for us here. Uh, anything else you want to leave the listeners with, uh, Pete, before we get out here? No, just make sure you guys join the Discord. Uh, we have a lot of great conversations going in there. Uh, we all wished Jason Floyd a happy birthday the other day. So please, if you haven't, wish wish the man a happy birthday. Uh, he does a lot for the channel and just in general. He's a great guy. Um, in addition to that, if you could like the video, we really appreciate it. Uh, we've been floating around 120. Let's try to get 150 likes. Still climbing to try to get to 1,000 subscribers. But thank you guys for everything you do. We appreciate it. And uh, let's enjoy Let's enjoy a nice weekend of MMA. I'll answer this question quickly because I know the answer. Uh, Sam goes, Pete, weird question, but since you're a fighter, you may know. Is there a way prior to fights starting to find out who the ref or judges will be for each fight, or is that not public knowledge? Yes, the fighter does have that ability. They also have the ability to tell the commission if there's someone they do not want to work their fight, they have to explain why yeah. they do not want. The, the most notable case of this was back in the day, is Brock Lesnar did not want Steve Mazzagatti working his fight because of uh, going into the second Frank Mir fight. So uh, fighters do have that ability um, to uh, look all their the fighter, the manager, the coach. All they got to do is call up the regular and say, "Who's going? Who who are the officials working the fights? Who's going to work my fight?" And then if they have any objections, that's when they they bring the objections. Yeah, I mean, you get a little pushback, but not really. I mean, especially if you have a legitimate case. You, you know what I mean? Like, um, that's it. Yeah. I would imagine, like, Dom Cruz wouldn't want uh, – what's his name? The, the, uh, what's Keith his Pete, name? Uh, Keith, he would uh, want Keith Peterson. Keith Peterson, yeah. Yeah, no nonsense. Um, <laughs> but I, I guess he wouldn't want Chris Tyone either. He hates all – the, the, the battle between not, Dom Cruz and yeah. officiating is ridiculous. I'm not a big Chris Tyone guy either. Uh, that's not a guy I would want ref in my fight either. But uh, as always, we appreciate uh, people putting it in here. Um, look, look, Mike Bell is an elite judge. He had one bad scorecard. I, I, I talked about this on my show today. If you think a judge is going to be 100% all the time, you're living in a fancy world. Go back and look. Mike Bell is one of the best judges can't defend his fifth round. Can't defend it. He's one of the best judges in the game. Plain and simple. Yeah, I, I think it was probably just the, yeah. the positions and how close she was to finishing the fight and the damage and everything, despite for what was happening the prior two and a half minutes. It just like that weighed really, really heavily and was significant, but ultimately resulted in a very, very unfortunate circumstance for the UFC and both and both fighters. All we can hope is that it gets better. And uh, we'll be here 10 yeah. years from now still talking about bad judging. It's never going to end. Oh, yeah. So that is going to do it for this edition of the Fight HQ Podcast. Appreciate everyone tuning in. Join that Discord channel. We've got the DraftKings Contest Plus. You can uh, purchase Fight HQ merch as well. All in the link. So we will talk to you here in two weeks on the Fight HQ Podcast.